Sober Cinema, and I think since last time we recorded, or maybe I just skipped it last time, it was on my mind, but uh, one of our hosts here, the Nasty Hellcat, uh, Jared Dotson, mm-hmm. made a guest appearance on Superfan Hyro's show, so the streak resumes, mentioning him. Uh, the Get True it out Bromance... of the way quick so we don't have to do it anymore. Well, okay, yeah, let's do it quickly. <laughs> True Bromance Film Podcast, I won't tell you where to yeah. follow it, Google it, as he says. Uh, and there was a question about the premise of our show, and as much as it amuses me, the, the theme music, the montage that Josh created, I realize even from episode one, I think we've just played the music of various people ordering went liquor, into it. and then we just start talking <laughs> like our nonsense. <laughs> so, yes, I will say welcome to Sober Cinema, where, uh, Jared, I think you put it best on the show, we take a sobering look back, uh, removed from the hype, we pick sort of an anniversary of uh, a certain weekend of two films releasing at the same time. And uh, this week we are talking about the Nicolas Cage starring in voice only, The Crudes, uh, going up against Tina Fey and Paul Rudd in admission. So we don't have a weird foreign film to laugh at, to point and laugh at, and probably confuse (laughs) listeners. Uh, It's a little more populist here, but uh, Jared... As since I'm being all professional, since we were called mm-hmm. into question about what exactly, which is a weird thing. It's a weird thing to be called into question by the person who has listened to every episode and loves every episode, and then still <laughs> like, what is it? What am I listening to? <laughs> so, uh, since I'm trying to stay above board here, uh, what were the uh, results from that uh, box office of these two going up against each other? I'll get it out of the way early. All right, the uh, the Crudes. We'll start with the uh, more well known film. Budget of one hundred and thirty five million and worldwide of five hundred and eighty seven point two million. You know, I'm always Pretty surprised standard. how much those cartoons make. Like you say, like, you slap DreamWorks on it and it's like it sells like hotcakes. Josh is the father here. Maybe you're not as surprised because you actually have access to children who probably like you know something like the crudes would be on repeat but for me it's like oh it's a caveman cartoon that comes and goes and i never think about it again and then it's like oh wow made half a billion dollars the box office <laughs> jesus a lot of people saw yeah, it. yeah uh something you probably don't think about a whole lot until you have kids is uh like for myself going to the theater has dramatically slowed down as i've had kids it's more of an effort but when when it's a movie where you can take the kids with you, it's like <clears throat> even it may it may not be your top choice for a movie. If, if you're somebody that loves going to the theater and watching movies, you can load the kids up and take them into the crudes, you know, whole damn family. eleven a.m. in the morning, you know, and and have a good time. So, uh, 
Yeah, it, it tends to do fairly well because you, you definitely have the people. You have people who don't even love movies. That that's still just their standby. Like, okay, when the kids' movie comes out, I'm taking them kids. Just an activity. In the dark room like and just bowling or something with family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and keep them quiet. Hopefully, that's but, right. Uh, all right, Jared. Uh, how about admission? Which I'm imagining uh, Josh and the family did not load up <laughs> to go see. <laughs> I say that's a pretty safe bet, there, boss. Yeah. Uh, Budget of thirteen million and a gross of eighteen million. Mm, yeah, I'd say that was probably a loser. <laughs> count advertising count. and prints yeah. there. Everything not included in the budget, I would say it would at best probably break even. You would think. I don't know what the international figures were, but I doubt this one. I don't even know in if China. they went international. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't see, you know, <laughs> Tina Fey and Paul Rudd in a uh, college uh, acceptance comedy doing gangbusters in other countries, but who knows? Um, all right, so we'll we'll save the other part of it as far as how it was critically received to the end of the show because it only really matters what we think. So we'll start with the the crudes, mm-hmm. and Josh, I'll toss it back to you. Uh, any family experience with this one, uh, or did you uh, did you go weird, creepy guy solo for for this podcast viewing and put the kids to bed and then watch the crew like, <laughs> by yourself? Say, don't no, steal actually. my don't steal my role for this one. I'm... Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, act- actually, that was I was able to kill two birds with one stone with that film and uh, have some good family time in the evening, and I popped that one on. Which I th- actually I think my kids had already seen it uh i think maybe it had been on netflix at one point or something i'm not sure but uh i I think they had already seen it and uh but it was my first time watching it but i i sat down and watched it with the family good bad didn't you other than getting the the kids uh obviously enjoyed it uh i was weary of it at first because i thought it looked very drab and it seemed just very uh I mean, I, I want to say boring, but it's not just that it was boring. It just it, it felt so m- mediocre and everything at first. But I didn't realize that that was kind of the point. They were really trying to set up that tone at the beginning of the film because of the the story they were telling about you know kind of moving and thinking outside the box, if you will. So once you know the the plot develops and the world changes. Uh, it became very colorful and, and a lot more fun, and uh, I did end up really enjoying it. Jared, uh, no children. I don't think you uh, – hopefully mm, didn't have any, yeah, Well, I was going <laughs> to say hopefully you didn't get a child, just acquire one just to watch the crudes with you. That would have upped the creepy factor a little bit, but as a, a single – stars. <laughs> single carousing man who uh, decided to spend a, a night – uh, not plugging away at the ladies at the single moms out there. <laughs> How was the crudes? Uh, um, actually, I, I probably got a mirror of what Josh said. Uh, even though I don't have that same background as far as uh, the traditional family life, I actually pretty much enjoyed the film. Uh, it had uh, had some decent comedy moments for uh, a kids' film. In particular, I liked um, every time Grug lamented over his mother-in-law surviving another episode i thought that was hilarious. caveman <laughs> i thought that was absolutely hilarious as far as everything else i thought it was pretty much standard family uh film humor but that that one little bit i kept going back to is like i lived for that uh <laughs> that moment that grug lamented that his mother-in-law survived again um <laughs> 
I will kind of uh, comment on what Josh said as well as like it, like it's bright and it's pretty, but I don't think it ever like actually had its own style, if that makes sense. Like it never had like a really like a grip on like, if you look at other DreamWorks films, like all the other ones have a definite kind of style. And I just thought this one was a little bit more generic, but it was still, I think it was a, a, a good family film. Yeah. I hadn't seen this before. Um, I think I swiped my movie pass on this one and was probably only halfway paying attention like you all. I was just like, well, I've not seen this yet and might as well charge this to a company and hope they go under, I guess. Because <laughs> <laughs> clearly I'm somewhat and was abusing the situation where I was going to see things I had no interest in. But I'm like, well, someone I've already paid for it, so let's put that on them. Uh, and I don't know at what point I started paying attention, but. I say it probably mirrored my experience rewatching it for the podcast because um, having seen it before and remembering not hating it, man, was I dreading it for this week. I'm like, why did I pick? I mean, I know it, it opened to like, I think 43 million uh, that weekend. So it was like the clear winner. Uh, but I was like, shit, I just, you know, cartoon, Nicolas Cage, caveman. Uh, I don't know if I'll. And um, I would say it doesn't start clicking for me until it becomes um maybe like a father of the bride meet the parents type situation where you introduce yeah. like the ryan reynolds uh i guess the, the evolution of man where he's the uh the, the, the guy, guy. <laughs> yeah he's the guy <laughs> um and it's not that his character is particularly funny he's actually probably a little subdued for like if you're getting mm -hmm. ryan reynolds to do the voice uh, uh other than what like physically happens to him which they have a lot of action sequences as their sort of land is like <laughs> imploding um he doesn't have a lot of zingers here. Uh, mainly it's just his presence and the daughter character voiced by Emma Stone uh, that has a thing for him. And I don't know <laughs> the idea. I think imagining Nicolas Cage is this befuddled, like strong man type, like his, just the ridiculous idea of Nicolas Cage is like this hulking force. Um, and then his daughter, like wanting to move on. I, I did kind of treat it more as like an adult comedy, like just him being annoyed, just, Generally, like <laughs> he doesn't understand Constantly. doesn't understand why his family was not just happy just being around him and only him. <laughs> like, like he's not really a likable character, but I did find him kind of amusing in that way. That it's like, how how are you not satisfied with this? We have a dark cave, and everyone just lay on me. Everyone just bask in, <laughs> in my my cage caveman scent. <laughs> so, like I said, that's probably me putting more into the movie than it's actually there. But from an adult perspective. Uh, I think it kind of works. Uh, there's also something to be said about Nicolas Cage being that that voice because I, that's why I thought Jared was going to say earlier about one of when when he was talking about one of his favorite scenes of the Grug. But for me, it was like every time he he spazzed out caveman style. <laughs> I mean, just doing it with that Nick Cage voice. Well, just I, imagining just, Nick Cage. Well, too, that's what I was going to say when I when I heard it. <laughs> I, I visualized Nick Cage doing one of his, you know, over the top meltdowns, and uh, it was pretty, you know, it was a pretty spot on choice getting him to do that character. Uh, so th there was a lot of pleasure from that, uh, just the the correlation to him playing playing the character of Grug. So to Jared's point about um, him wishing his mother in law death. Uh, it probably adds a, you know, a little bit of adult humor to something that normally when it comes to anime films, 
uh, I barely pay attention to or just kind of want to be over, which is is the like action sequences for a cartoon, like where you just see people pratfall. Usually mm-hmm. it's a chase. Uh, in this case, I think it works a little bit better because there is the threat of death. <laughs> you know, it's not just like something like Despicable Me uh, with, you know, the minions, obviously very popular with kids, but. I think it's meant to like it's meant to trigger violent attacks from adults, just like nonsense, just and seeing them pratfall. Uh, here, I didn't have as much of an issue with it because I I know it's a cartoon, but I honestly did feel at times like they're gonna kill off the old lady. They're gonna kill him. like what about his son? <laughs> Is he gonna die? Um, but it, it only works so well. It's still just there for kids to see things moving around really fast and sort of goofy contraptions but uh you know i think it's all right i mean i think if it works for the target audience who am i to complain as a man without children and hopefully it stays that way (laughs) so uh better than paddington then oh yeah oh yeah Um, oh yeah well okay paddington the thing i like most about it is when it's quietly well it ended (laughs) I actually like the Paddington character quite a bit because he's pretty quiet and normal. Like, you know, he's, but it's, man, it's that fucking Nicole Kidman character. And just that <laughs> ridiculousness of like trying to like find this bear and like mount him or whatever on her wall. It's just, I don't know. I just, uh, I think I would have liked Paddington better and I, I haven't seen the sequel and probably won't, but, uh, um, if it was just like a sitcom, if it was just everybody loves Raymond and the bear happened to live with him, I think I would be more down for that. <laughs> Uh, so we'll see, but uh, zaniness was okay here for the crews. I think Nicholas Cage and Zany works hand in hand. You uh, you mentioning that kind of just now made me aware of that. You know, there was no villain in this. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's, <laughs> yeah. that's you know that's kind of refreshing. You know that there's not some sort of mustache twirling bad guy, but it's just really like I mean I guess you could say that. Uh, Nature is or kind the of the father. Villain, there, you can yeah, say the Cage yeah. character. His own, well, yeah, his, his own his own insistence of um, playing it safe. You know, not not being willing to <laughs> step out of his comfort zone to survive uh, long enough to go back to your dark hole. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Then wait yeah. it out. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's a good point because usually the villains in these type of things are. I mean, actually, even in adult films, you know, that's. I think that's probably what I take away from Black Panther the most is while it has some of the tropes of like your standard Marvel movie, uh, man, the villain's awesome. It's like, you know, it's like if they mm-hmm. nail that, but uh, anything that has that particular formula, usually the, the villain is the, the weak link there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I've got much more on the crudes until we maybe get into the comparison. Uh, well, no, I think overall, I would just say it's you Jared's know, got a deep dive. He's been holding back on no, the no, no deep. How dive does it tie into the JFK assassination? What is your <laughs> back into the left? What bro. is your film Twitter think piece um, on the crudes that you? No, I was going to say, on? does do you think that it um, joins the DreamWorks line of uh, you know the Shreks or the How to Train Your Dragons? Do you think it mm. deserves to be up there with them? Um, I would say most people would say no. For myself, I I like the first Shrek quite a bit. I don't know. I don't remember how far along I continued with those. Um, I would say well, that I'm one of the I rare. I can say I've had the pleasure of seeing them all, Mike. And, uh, <laughs> Not good, eh? Speak to the master. It's a, it's a it's a downward trend. How many did they to? Four? After did the... they go to four? They did hit four. I'm trying to remember if they hit five already or not. If they didn't do five, I think my then thing I was think they are doing Shrek was it was sort of unique that they were doing such heavy pop culture references in the first one. 
Mm-hmm. But that stuff gets dated really quick. Like, I don't know how Shrek holds up if they're trying to be, like, topical to their time period. And also, eventually, I just that stuff just gets on my nerves. It, it holds up, but with that many sequels, it's just too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's just too much of the same, and it's not... Kind of like the same thing happened with another Mike Myers, uh, the uh, Austin Powers movies. Mm. Uh, Should have just, you know, stuck with the first one or two, but... Um, Are you all surprised that those have not been rebooted yet? Either one of those franchises at this point. I'm surprised there's not been three more sequels. Because what has Mike Myers done in the last forever? Uh, Shrek. (laughs) I don't know. Eat. (laughs) Shit. Fuck, Jared. (laughs) He's probably probably fine. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Don't want to have that visual of any of that. Um, to, To your other point, How to Train Your Dragon, I think, Josh, I think you and I did a old War Machine versus War Horse episode on that. Oh, yeah, we did. And we did. I felt like we were both kind of muted. I know I was. I was lukewarm on it, but that was the one people tend to went crazy over. Like, they were saying that was, like, Pixar-level quality. It's the highest I think, yeah. I think I like it a lot more than you. I don't think I took it to that crazy level of, like, mass obsession, but mm-hmm. I do really enjoy those films. Did I think, they, And I do think the they're really good. As well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. the sequel's really good, too. Uh, that was a weird one, because I think that one bombed, the sequel. After it, which is kind of rare. Like usually, with the cartoon series, if the first one's a hit, they can usually have that go out to at least three films. But I don't, I don't know what happened with the the sequel one because I thought it was going to be a, a brand new series. But apparently, I'm reading your. I think. Oh, go ahead. I'm saying, How to Train Your Dragon Two was a budget of 145 uh, million. Making the third one. What's that? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't. I didn't catch that. What? <laughs> Five minutes later, Jerry didn't catch. No, it. seriously, I, no, I didn't hear it. I, no, I, I, I was just saying. I, I think they are still making a third one. Oh, I was just laughing at Jared saying, "Like, what's that?" And then you're just staring at him. <laughs> well, I didn't hear it come through over my headphones. Like, I, you just all I heard was blah, 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 and then nothing. Yeah, it was the same. Uh, so, what was the? What did it make? The How to Train uh, it, it actually it uh, it. Pretty much four times its budget—a budget of 145 million—and a uh, worldwide gross of 621 million dollars. Yeah, but I am reading here uh, the crudes um, made. Was it you said 587 on a budget yeah, worldwide. of 135, and yet the profit—I can't remember where I saw that—the uh, profit uh, was 100, just over 100 million. It's like, damn. I think- DreamWorks had been in some uh, financial trouble right before that movie. I can't remember what had released right before that and had bombed. I think they've been uh, sold and or they've had deals with like Paramount and Fox. I don't know. That it seems like they just keep getting <laughs> traded off to company to company. Um, all right, let's, Hollywood accounting is always suspicious anyway. But yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Let's let's move on to Mission, where they couldn't really hide much money because it didn't make much money. <laughs> Very true. Hi there. You all want to know the secret formula for getting in, right? Well, take out your pens. Take them out. Yes! I'll tell you what I'd like to know. Why should I apply to an elitist institution with a history of anti-black, anti-gay, and anti-female oppression? Well, actually, I reject that stereotype. Speaking of rejection, don't you reject 99.9% of your applicants? 
And don't you just want to drum up applications to keep your number one position on U.S. News and World Report? Oh, actually, yeah. I, I think it's number two this year, right? Yes, but... No, I'm sure it's an aberration. Don't people just need a college degree if you want to pursue the societally approved definition of success? Yeah, wouldn't you be better off sitting in your room reading books instead of spending all that money? I'm sorry, are you a senior? No, I'm in sixth grade. Yeah, Portia, this is my son, Nelson. I'm adopted. I was born in Uganda. Love you, buddy. Okay, Dad. I thought it would be educational for him to sit in on this. How's it going so far? Are you learning a lot? Kind of. Half and half. Well, there you go. Okay. Right. Well, Nelson. Sure, sitting in a room and reading books would be very cost-effective, but... Princeton is a corporation, no different than an oil company. We should be educating ourselves to be citizens of the world and not of some guarded suburban enclave. What we want is to leave the planet better than we found it. Okay, well, good luck with that. Uh, wait, wait. Uh, I want to hear about Princeton, please. Okay, fine. But first, I have a question for all of you. Just how will you leave the planet better? Will you eradicate disease? You're going to need a medical degree. If you want to create new drug therapies, that's a PhD. Do you want to defend the innocent and secure justice for all? I regret to inform you that you will have to go to law school. There are plenty of college graduates out there ardently hoping to leave the world better than they found it. We are looking for those people, students with blazing minds and hearts who will change the goddamn world. All right, Portia, well done. Well, I bet you guys feel like a bunch of assholes. I, uh... <laughs> Rewatched this one. I remember having fonder feelings about it. Uh, I think this was just a, like a date movie uh, with uh, my wife, my, my girlfriend at the time, and we liked Tina Fey. We liked Paul Rudd, um, but I didn't remember much about it, and she didn't either. Because as we're rewatching it, uh, this this plot of <clears throat> basically this uh, admissions uh, officer. Um, just traveling around and then getting roped in by this uh, uh, former college classmate played by Paul Rudd to come to his, I don't know, what would you call it, Jared? His his odd, uh, like, almost his... farmland school, like, free thinker <laughs> very, society. Very liberal, um, intellectual, uh, pseudo-college, I guess, if you want. I mean, I'm uh, looking at Wikipedia, and they just say she, she pays a visit to the Quest School. And I'm like, I, you know, if you've not seen it, Mission, which is probably, you know, we don't have many listeners, but I'd still say that's probably <laughs> 99% of you, the few ones we have. Uh, it just, you know, it just looks like a bunch of bullshit, really. <laughs> it's cool, like, it's an excuse Delivering to have a, Yeah, there's an excuse for a cow delivery joke, um, a gag. Um, but anyway, she, uh, she works for Princeton and, uh, so she's, uh, you know, very, very important figure, uh, for accepting college students in the Ivy League. So, um, the, uh, the thing I did remember and I never really liked about this film is that Paul Rudd, uh, looks her up to basically trick her into getting to know this son that she gave up for adoption at birth. Uh, played by uh, I don't have the kid's name in front of me. Uh, Nicholas Wolf. Uh, <sighs> Nat Wolf. Nicholas. Yeah, yeah. You're trying to give him a more appropriate name there. 
Um, I think he's been in like the fault in our stars and some other YA movies, uh, paper towns. Um, who's just, I don't know, quirky kid, quirky kid. Mm-hmm. 101. He knows that. Yeah. I, you know, I can never get over <laughs> this being like a rom-com, uh, where you're kind of, kind of maybe rooting for Tina Fey and Paul Rudd to get together because she's just been left by her, uh, longtime partner in about the most dickish way possible, uh, <laughs> that she's going to fall for another dick because I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm just not really down for how this has dropped on this woman. Like, Hey, that's <laughs> yeah. your kid. Uh, why don't you get to know him while he tries to get into your college? And he's also a weird little fucker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's just a lot. No, it's a lot to take in. Very well put. Yeah, (laughs) I wish the film had had that line. That would have been. Mike uh, Dennison says, "Weird little fucker" in quotes. (laughs) Man, if I could get on the poster with that, only in Europe or something where they don't care about such language and probably don't care about this film. Um, (laughs) I it's it's weird that way because I'm just thinking like, well, that's kind of mean. I understand the ultimate goal there, but you're just putting this person. It's a really uncomfortable situation reminding her of something that has probably probably been on her mind and haunted her for a long time, and we're going to treat this for laughs, kind of? I don't know. Did either one of you... I at, mean, least, I, at least here on the podcast. Yeah. I, well, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why I felt so protective over Tina Fey's character of Portia, which I think is a really bad name for a Tina Fey character, because uh, <laughs> she's not particularly likable either, but I still just felt like this is just a mean-spirited premise. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there was the, – the idea of her being so focused on kind of judging these young kids, uh, you know, their potential and whether or not they're going to get in to Princeton, and then paralleling that to her discovering, uh, you know, a child that she had put up for adoption, that would have been a pretty interesting story, and that's what we got, but – there was just that really weird mesh of not only the revelation at the end, but it felt really weird. It's like, why are you still trying to to play the admissions officer at the the school and kind of basically cheat your possible son in, into the it, it? It was just very morally weird. And it's not like I was offended when I was watching it, but it just made me feel weird. I don't know. I just, I, I couldn't get on board with anything. I was just kind of just, uh, I don't know what I want from you people, but I don't like what you're giving me. We're, uh, we're, the, we're the guys who, you know, last week watch it follows and can be like, Oh, this is such a cool concept. And what would you do in this? And looking at the practical nature of it. And then we watch it mission. It's like, it creeped me out, man. It kind of freaked me out. This whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> Jared, you're chuckling at us. I'm, uh, I'm guessing you disagree with us on, uh, how I don't know. I don't mean Josh are just a couple of pussies. We're just scared of this Tina Fey college comedy, but uh, I totally agree. So Jared, you're wrong before you even say anything. I don't even really know to go <clears throat> where to go from there. Um, I'll lead with, I thought this movie was absolute garbage. <laughs> I didn't care for well. it. <laughs> I thought that it was a bunch of B side B movie plots all wrapped together that didn't really have any sort of coherence. And by the time you're done, you don't know who the fuck to root for. You don't know who's like morally sound, who is, uh, 
who is the good guy because you've got Tina Fey who is, you know, spoiler alert, gave up her kid. And you've got Paul Rudd, this bumbling idiot that <laughs> misplaced this copied uh, <laughs> birth certificate. There's like the whole like the crux of the movie is him looking at this like printout and like, oh, I missed that extra digit there on the uh, <laughs> like plus plus don't get me wrong, but like what kind of fucking psychomaniac are you to like try to hit up a girl like, hey, I uh I heard that you gave up a child. Let's go to dinner, and I'm going to deliver you the information, and also I'm going to try to get in your pants. Like it, well, it's, it's 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 not just that, but the, even the expla- explanation he gives the uh, okay. So I I, don't, I can't remember the names. I'm, I dated Shelly. She was your roommate, and uh, mm-hmm. she told me that you went and uh, had you know had a baby and you gave it up at adoption. Uh, but you had it at. And I remembered this on twenty years later. I always remembered that. It's like really, you always remembered that, like a girl you dated in college had a crazy who had a baby at one o'clock on Valentine's Day. Like that's not a detail that sticks with me. Look, and then the, the coincidental, like years later in life, that child came back to me. Like, <laughs> and I knew I had to hunt you down, even though you don't even know who I am. And look, uh, he's uh, he's not set up as someone who just stayed in that area. Like, he was, let's say he's like the town uh, gossip or something. All and over the world. Yeah, he's traveled all over the world. Like, he's got his own adopted son, and that's, I guess, Jared, one of the many sort of B-plots you're talking about. Um, who's, his kid just wants him to, like, would you just settle down somewhere? Can we just plant roots? Uh, I don't want to see any more of the world, which that could have been funny. Uh, if it wasn't, I felt like that was just used to, like, oh, maybe this means that Faye and Rudd will stay together then if he just sticks around long enough. Uh, and mm. like you, I, well, like both of you, I do find him kind of creepy. Um, he seems like he's, you know, if they wanted a harder edge comedy, uh, there's a lot that they could really satirize here. Uh, as, as Like the extreme sort of like uh, progressive type uh, sort of counterculture, like here's the way oh, you yeah. like, raise your kids or like who is just a meddler. A meddler who's just like kind of like the the hamster on the wheel. He's just like constantly moving, but never really committing to anything. And that's probably the biggest sin with the movie is, uh, and I'll just you know, spoiler alert. If you've been waiting for uh, how five many years? years in the making, five years. Yeah, this is our five year. See, I don't even remember the concept of the show. I'm like, what fucking year was this again? All right, five years old. We're celebrating <laughs> you, admission. Thank you, Jared. Um, the spoiler, ultimate spoiler for the revelation that we allude to is that it's not hers like jared said he just he misread this the creepy birth certificate um and that's where i go back to the mean spiritedness of the movie is um i'm fine with that like josh saying that sort of just that plot hook uh because ultimately what they're trying to get at is they're trying to get this woman who's always looked at uh teenagers who are not fully formed adults uh, as just a number or something to make you know her profession look good on what they mm-hmm. can what they can do, not directly for her, but their accomplishments somehow are a reflection of her accomplishments because she let them through the gate, and so she looks at this kid as hers, and so she actually looks at this person as a person for once, and not just a, you know uh, there's all those finally weird not sort of, a stack of papers. Well, there's all those weird sort of visual like the sort of motifs they use where it's like they she sees the kid or imagines a kid like talking to her interviewing for her. um but i think the only way that actually works is if you commit to the fact that yeah that's that's her 
son that she gave up. Like to then right. have that little twist, I feel like you're just being mean spirited to this Tina Fey character. Poor Portia, yet again. <laughs> well, Whoopsie. and I had to almost laugh because you know you're talking about the mean spiritedness of the movie. Like first off, there's no way that by the end of it, like once she finds out that the kid's not hers and she's lost her job because everything she. There's no way she doesn't like rage quit like all over Paul Rudd like at the end of that. I mean, like her life is like ruined. Yeah, <laughs> Completely cost you ruined. a job at Princeton. But but great. not only that, you know, talking about the mean spiritedness of the movie, I was like, okay, so I kind of gave the movie a little bit of props. I was like, okay, so they're not going to wrap everything up with a perfectly happy ending. But then they they offered the whole her going to try to find her actual biological child. And I was like, okay, that's going to be how they put a little bit of a happy ending on it is, you know, she's going to establish touching base with her real child. I'm like, nope, he's not ready to see you. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, man, nobody leaves sucks, this movie. Tina Fey. Nobody leaves this movie with good feelings whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I don't think so. And um, the, the only ones who did are the many people who didn't see it, I guess. The only you know, character that was worth a damn was uh, what's his name, Oleg Krupa, the uh, the uh, apparent scholar that wrote him the recommendation. Like he's the only one in the entire movie that I thought had like clear incentive or clear um, motivations. Know, I liked him. Yeah, he wanted to get down with Tina Fey's mom. Like, he yeah. doesn't care at what any any cost whatsoever. He will want. He just wants to get with Tina Fey's mom. Like. I would have disqualified this whole movie based on the Descartes ventriloquism, like two minutes worth. That was. I actually like that about him that he that he has the. He's weird. I love he it. Has Where's the your mother? To, yeah, to stick with that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's even going to smile and be like, "Interesting." I, yeah, puppetry. Oh, weird. <laughs> hey, how's your mother? But doesn't that go back to what I'm? I guess I'm disliking about the Paul Rudd character is. Uh, even if someone's being duplicitous, I would rather them have a motive I can understand, which is all right. He wants to to fuck Lily Tomlin, <laughs> whereas Paul Rudd, I'm like, dude, what are you what are you doing, man? Like you you know you're just you're all over the place as far as your intentions. I think I think they were trying to play him up, and and it successfully so in a lot of ways, as just wanting to be that much of a. a charitable person um I'm, I'm missing the, the the right term but uh good doer uh that he's trying to be active in all these children's lives especially like you know he's adopted this kid you know and he's trying to be there for him and he sees the potential of this this kid you know the possible son of tina fey and I, he's willing to put himself out there because he thinks this is, you know, going to be good for this kid to finally meet his actual mother and all that. I, the problem is, is that he had to do some really weird things to try to accomplish <laughs> that stuff that just wouldn't be normal. And for his good intention, as you could say, that character is trying to be, it, it really does come off as just, I mean, it's just off putting, you know, I mean, you, I think any of us would be furious if somebody had, mix themselves up in our lives <laughs> Here's quite another like that thing. and uh, this is going to sound like a weird uh, change because I feel like it probably makes the movie more mean to the Tina Fey character I don't really like that uh, Michael Sheen which is not they're not married right or are they no no that was part of the joke was that it was like a 10 year 
dating, like they were living like together. Common law no type kids. marriage, right? mm-hmm. no marriage. But so they're they're established, and there's a scene early on where uh, that's where he starts doing that weird thing where he pats her like a dog, and she like barks, and then it's a gag that continues for a few more scenes and never never gets funny. As I said, just continues to be awkward and mean. Um, and he says something like, "I like our life," and she's like, "Yeah, me too." And then he, I mean, it's meant to establish that they're not very passionate people. Like, you know, he turns mm-hmm. over and starts reading this book again. But I'm looking at it like, I don't look at it like she's, like, longing for something else. I look at it like she's just as content as he is. Mm-hmm. And this film seems to make that a damnable offense, to be content with your life. Like, even <laughs> his character has an affair, <laughs> and they don't even let him revel in the fact that he's, like, got an attractive woman that he's like falling for. It's like he accidentally gets her pregnant and he feels, he feels like he's, he's miserable now too. And it's like, why does this film want everyone to be unhappy? (laughs) (laughs) So they don't even allow Tina Fey to make the choice, like to fall for Paul Rudd. It's like, she really has no other options. Like she's at a point where like her whole life is shattered. And as we've said, then uh, she gets her job taken from her too, and it, oh, she loses the child that she thinks she's just found again and didn't even want to find, but now it's in front of her. Thanks, Paul Rudd. You've reminded me of a big piece missing from my life, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'll go find my real son who wants fuck all to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good laugh, good date night. <laughs> what a fantastic comedy! <laughs> Tons of laughs. <laughs> There's something about podcasting where, you know, if Jared had just tweeted that, <laughs> like <laughs> tons of laughs, you don't get the pain in his voice. <laughs> I admittedly had bigger laughs during the crudes than I had during this movie. Yeah, yeah, that that pains me uh, for a fucking cartoon. Um, <laughs> you know, I think <laughs> also on that note, thinks the crudes is a better job of like. Uh, family dynamics family <laughs> dynamics uh showing the power of education and like critical thinking <laughs> it's, it's, it's like survival uh it's the way to win old old paps over old in the cage you bond uh you find a better place you follow the light um admission i i don't i don't know it's like you know, the end result is I feel like all the characters are like, we thought we knew something, but we don't. <laughs> <laughs> that goes for Faye, Rudd. Every single kid. person. <laughs> As they even the mom. Um, oh. Yeah. All right, Jared, give us the, what, what are the, what's the tomato meter for these two things? <laughs> all right. The, uh, the crudes. Had a seventy-two percent from the critics and a seventy-seven percent from the audiences. Pretty decent for a, con- yeah, uh, yeah, a cartoon. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Admission: thirty-eight <clears> percent <throat> from the critics and thirty-two percent from the audience. Man, we had uh, we had kind of uh, both sides uh, had about the same rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think both right, honestly, as well. Sometimes you know. <laughs> The world gets things right the first time around. <laughs> and we are not needed, boys. <laughs> Some people may say that from the start of this podcast, but <laughs> for our premise of uh, trying to right the wrongs here, I would say, yeah, the mainstream first time around, uh, the crew deserved it. Deserves the eyeballs and admission. No. 
Which is crazy because admission has a lot like bigger themes and ideas going on, but I mean, the Crudes are just a much more enjoyable film, and that's I don't know. Maybe we'll never have another f- pairing where the <laughs> the cartoon was <laughs> that much more enjoyable than the actual film that was trying to make a statement. Yeah, and I feel like admission with the cover. I mean, I I have no idea, but it's it's one of those things that probably no one saw. Um, and if people just stumble across it on like Hulu or Netflix, they're going to see like a cover of Tina Fey and Paul Rudd. And it's probably going to be labeled rom-com rom-com. And they're going to be like, Oh, I've never heard of this. I should see this one. But there are those movies. Um, and there's one I'm thinking of. I remember when Josh and I lived together, it was one of those things where like, we got excited for something just because of who was in it. Uh, but mm. as far as I know, we never watched it. <laughs> we were so excited that <laughs> when that, that thought passed our mind uh, after two weeks, it was one of those things that was like on the back burner. Do you remember a movie with, I think it was Ben Stiller and Drew Barrymore, I think was the couple. And it was, I think it was called Duplex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was something we were like, oh, Ben Stiller, he makes good comedies. Like, we need to see that this week. And then we didn't see it that week, and I never watched it. <laughs> like, it's just like, I was so excited for something, and then it almost just disappears what, completely. What is that one movie that we watched? I'm not trying to one up what you're talking about here, but what, uh, Jack Nicholson and, uh, oh, Diane Keaton. <laughs> Um, Dying something's gotta give something's yeah gotta, and we went to that movie and we were like the only two that were under 70 years old and we thought it was like jack nicholson like jack's we, working his magic we and, thought it was uh, you know the premise is that he's a dude who likes to have sex with much younger women and then he gets stuck <laughs> with Diane keaton <laughs> for some reason so we thought it was gonna be like the shining the nancy myers version where it's like him losing his damn mind <laughs> and instead he falls for her and me and jared i mean we saw this we were probably what 2021 when this came 21. out and we're sitting yeah. next to each other thinking it's gonna be like old jack like going through old just jack. knocking him down and we're sitting there with a bunch of 65 year olds who are like weeping because it's like they see themselves as Diane Keaton. And you talk about how uncomfortable. I remember me and Jared like. Slinking down in the we were like <laughs> we, we were like debating like can we walk out? Will it look weird if these two 20 year old kids like walk out of this movie? Or is it going to be even weirder when they're passing us sitting next to each other like two dudes? <laughs> One of the more uncomfortable moments of my life. Um, and you know what? That was a much better movie than this. I still had more laughs. So <laughs> I laugh about it today more so than yeah. I ever laughed about admission. The, the, in the, the story itself is probably funnier. <laughs> Me and Jared getting hyped to go see Nancy Myers. Something's got to get. That's, that's funnier than admission <laughs> as a whole. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So you know, at some point we'll do that one. Uh, I don't know what it opened up against. And duplex. Josh, you said you saw it. No good. Yeah, I don't remember it being very good. I, it was pretty disappointing. Uh, on that note. Similar thoughts for at Sober Cinema. <laughs> Let us know how disappointed you are every week <laughs> in uh, what we watch or what we think. Uh, or maybe you're really happy that <laughs> once we got hyped for a Nancy Myers joint and then uh, paid for it, that was justice. That was the world <laughs> serving justice to me and Jared wanting to see Jack Nicholson take advantage of many young women. Um, I'll see you on Twitter, Hiro. You know That's a good way to end it. <laughs> We're also on Patreon, Hiro. Give us money. <laughs> Since you're the only one listening, when we don't have money, we know who's ignoring our plea for money. <laughs> this is just a small note that I had to make in the editing. You can send those Patreon nickels 
to patreon.com slash WarMachineHorse. Links are in the show notes, as well as our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook accounts at Sober Cinema. We do take checks. I'm thirsty. I want a beer. What about you? You want a beer? It, it was actually a great exercise for me. It was nice to know that I always had the crudes to you know, report to to stay in shape as, as, as a, a film actor. Um, I've often said that voice is 50% of your performance and, and all of the performance is imagination. And getting in that little aquarium-like box with the microphone was an opportunity for me to get in touch with my what I call my instrument because... Um, in between movies, you can you can feel rusty at times, and so this was a chance to stay in shape.